Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now As I drove back to Wessex after visiting Wafa, I kept thinking how the magic of early love boils down to sex and the sizzling chemistry between two people that eclipses everything else. For days, weeks, sometimes even months, Joni Mitchell's Blue album was playing in my car and her voice trilled ecstatically matching my own feelings. Applause, applause, life is our cause. When I think of your kisses, my mind seesaws. In my experience, most couples knew if they had a future or not after eight weeks. Rod and I were at that eight-week cusp, and so far we had been able to smooth over our regular clashes. I was still focusing on his attributes, his rocket-like energy and his know-how. Obviously, his good looks, but also his complexity and unpredictability. I needed his keen perception about people and their motives. And then... Well, I hated to admit it, but I also liked the feeling of protection his financial situation gave me. But could I marry him? Could I really do it? Yes. Probably I could just close my ears and mind to arguments and take the risk. After all, no one was perfect, and there was no such thing as relationship bliss. Relationships were hard work from start to finish, whether finish was divorce or death. Rod's antenna picked up my thoughts, and I received a text message while driving. Hello, my beautiful Sicilian. Are you almost home? Are you waiting to feel me inside you? I managed to type back, thankful for autocorrect. Almost home, longing to be with you. Forever. His ping instantly answered. Grateful for your love. Another ping immediately followed. I can't live without you. The minute I came through the apartment door, we hugged tightly, my sketchbook and backpack dropping to the floor with abandon. Missed you. Aching for you, Rod said into my hair. Same, I said. I thought we were headed straight to the bedroom, but he surprised me by letting go and drawing me to the table proudly. He wore an apron. I made dinner for us. I thought it would be nicer than going out. We're both tired after a long day. Wow, the table looks beautiful. Thank you so much. I sank down into my chair. Candles flickered over the pretty place settings, making the atmosphere romantic. Rod dashed off to the kitchen to get our food. Wafa screwed up and and the kids weren't home, I said so he could hear. But we had a nice chat instead. Good, that's good, Rod said, coming back and putting a bowl of steaming squash soup in front of me. Our kids will be beautiful and smart. Mm Mm-hmm. I was glad we were on the same wavelength. He poured wine and sat down across from me. This is just the first course. I hope you like it. I will, if only because you made it. You're so thoughtful. Did you and Wafa talk about me? Of course. We're girls. I hope you said good things. All good things. All love for my man. We clinked glasses and sipped the wine. Looks like the Republicans have swept up. Yeah, it's so depressing. NPR said it's the most polarized election in half a century. You better brace yourself for my dad and Wyatt. I'm sure they're cheering right now. Then we won't talk politics with them. (laughs) Easier said than done. It was a pleasant meal, partly because Rod was so happy to have made it happen. 
He also ate slower and made an effort at conversation, which made me happy. Our good vibes were holding. I got up after the meal and cleared our dirty dishes. This is my cleanup. You cooked. You sure? He asked sweetly. Of course I'm sure, and thank you again. He kissed me gratefully and took his computer to the couch, settling down in his usual position with feet on the coffee table and laptop propped on his torso close to his face. I carried our dishes to the kitchen and stopped dead at the sight before me. Dirty dishes were everywhere. They littered the countertop, stovetop, and sink. The food processor was caked with squash, and peelings, seeds, and smears coated the floor, along with a trail of grease from his chicken pan. I guessed he wasn't the kind of cook who left the kitchen tidy before serving the meal, but I kept quiet out of respect for his effort. My cleanup took time and made a lot of noise, so that eventually Rod called out, Need help, honey? Nope, I'm fine. But by then I was down on my hands and knees dealing with the floor, which was too sticky to sweep with a broom. It had to be washed with a rag. Did I leave a big mess? He called out again. Just some spills. Oops. Sorry about that. You sure you don't want my help? I'm almost done, I said, feeling like a martyr. You sure? Yep. When I finally got to the living room with my sketch pad, I passed behind the couch and saw his Facebook page. He quickly switched to eBay and images of motorcycle parts. I sat down on a chair to his side and began a pencil sketch of his slouched profile. First the general contours of his head, shoulders, and body, then more attention to the head. Like what you see? He said, craning a bit to smile at me. Yes, you have an elegant head in profile. (laughs) No one's ever told me that before. And I love the dent above your lips, even though I can't see it right now. I love your lips, period. And you'll have proof tonight. Show me your drawing when you're done, okay? He craned once more with a winsome smile. Forever? (laughs) Yes, Rod. Forever and a day. I wonder where that comes from. Why don't you look it up? His fingers nimbly scrabbled over the keys, then paused while he read the Google answers. Wouldn't you know it? Shakespeare. As you like it. Rosalind says, Now tell me how long you would have after you have possessed her. And Orlando answers, Forever and a day. He flicked his screen back to Facebook as if to say, Done with that. I thought how he was a tireless internet surfer, always bopping from tab to tab, and then coming back to Facebook to check on his conversations there. His surfing topics ranged from extreme sports and motorcycles to rock music and top news. I held my sketch at arm's length to see if it was done. The profile worked well for Rod, and I didn't have to deal with his veiled eyes. I liked the oval of his head from that angle, the plane of his cheek joining the curve of his jaw like a seamless egg. His squared-off chin didn't show, nor the little disturbances in his features when seen from the front, the restless shifting and occasional glower. His profile was calm and dignified. I was about to show him my work when his screen lit up with a woman wearing sexy blue underwear. What are you doing? Oh, can you see my screen? Yeah, is that porn? I came over behind the couch. No, not at all. I was just thinking it might be fun to find a pretty bra for you from Victoria's Secret. What do you think of this one? He held up the computer. I found it while you were cleaning up. Can I buy it for you? My face must have looked amazed, for he snapped his laptop shut. Wow, let me see your drawing. He got up and took the pad from me, then studied his image with a smile. Nice. I look important. His phone rang startling us, and he dropped the pad on the couch. It's Carlos, he said and answered. 
Then he began pacing the room while talking and listening. Yeah, of course I know the house is built on bedrock. I checked everything before we started the job. I even got town permits we didn't need just to play it safe. I knew Carlson was an asshole. He listened for a few seconds and then said, I'm telling you that wasn't because of us. I'll bet anything those irreplaceable rugs and paintings got soaked way before we came on board. And that's probably why he hired us in the first place. He needed a scapegoat. And again he listened and this time broke out in frustration. No way! Those drains that flooded his neighbor's yard were his doing, not mine. He can tell the judge I installed them, but I didn't. In fact, when he suggested drains, I told him no way, not here. Not on this kind of slope with that neighbor's house right there. I'm texting him now for an appointment first thing tomorrow morning. I want you to meet me there and bring all the records. Fuck, he said, tossing his phone on the table. We get bad customers who don't want to pay for what they've signed up for. But every now and then we get a real jerk like this Cohasset dude. He's threatening to sue me for his basement flooding and for his neighbors who's suing him for the same. I didn't cause any of it. In addition, he claims his pool cracked because of my bad patio install. Well, fuck that. I saw those cracks in his pool when I did my survey, and I put photos of them in the contract. But Carlos says Carlson showed him the contract and the photos aren't there, which means sabotage of a legally binding document. But he'll claim the opposite. I'm so sorry. I knew when I first met the bastard that he was a sleazeball and that I shouldn't take the job. I know his type. Big shot lawyers. They're dangerous. You can never win with them. They hire you just so they can sue you. How sick is that? But I'm a sucker. I saw his job, the most beautiful landscape in the world, the yard drifting down to the sparkling blue water, the house surrounded by stone patios with a pool. There were natural rock outcroppings everywhere, and the driveway curved like a, like a woman's body down to the road. I can't resist jobs like that. I didn't know what to say. I felt so sorry for him. He really did appreciate landscapes, and he really did want to create something beautiful for his clients. Maybe it'll all blow over tomorrow when you talk to him. Nah. Carlson's a f***ing scammer, I know it. I feel it. He's gonna trump up his case, lace it with lies, bribe the judge he knows, and when he wins, my insurance won't cover half of it. Can't your lawyer help? You have documentation, a professional record. I put my arms around him for a sympathetic hug, and though his arms lifted automatically to hug back, they were limp. His head was elsewhere. Friday arrived, my favorite day of the week. Not only because it was Friday, but also because I was painting Charles. We were now meeting every Friday afternoon and painting till the end of the day. We sat on stools across from each other in the art room, working on our paintings. The atmosphere was peaceful with just the sounds of our little movements. I knew Charles, like me, had been born to breathe the smell of oil paint. The gleam of oily colors on our palettes was an irresistible draw, and I loved watching my subject emerge from the canvas. It was a mysterious visual communication, something that I obviously controlled, but was totally unaware of as it happened. Charles's face fascinated me, and often I paused to consider his skin and its dark translucence. I worked with my paints to create it and gave it the name Rainforest River. I wondered if similar thoughts passed through his mind as he painted me. As Friday wound to an end, a few of Charles's friends stopped by to see his work. They looked at the canvas, then at me, and Mona Lisa smiles touched their lips, stirring my curiosity. Then they headed back out, probably to the woods for a smoke or a toke, particularly as it was Friday. 
We didn't try to catch students at Haskell, though rules existed, including a 9 p.m. curfew for the boarders. But every once in a while, someone inadvertently got caught with alcohol or pot, and then the Judiciary Committee decided their fate. Rod surprised me by coming in the door. I'd lost track of time, and we had weekend plans to visit his dad and his best friend south of Boston. Is it four already? I said, putting down my brush. On the dot. Don't worry, we're not in a hurry. You know Charles? Yep. Hi, Charles, Rod said with a curt nod. He was jealous of my handsome subject. I'm going to have to lock up, Charles. Ho left early. That's cool, Charles said, putting his brush into a jar of turpentine. Rod's boots quickly scraped across the floorboards to get a look at Charles's painting. I saw his lips twist in disapproval, and he stepped quickly away to come over to my painting. Like it? I said brightly. He nodded, grim-faced. Voices came from outside, then the clear gong of Lori's voice as the door opened and she came in, followed by Tien and Mei Wu. Charles, did you forget you're signed out with the Wu's for the weekend? No, I'm all set. I can go. Hi, Tien. It was the first time I realized Charles and May were boyfriend and girlfriend. And it must be serious if Tien was taking them both for the weekend. How's the painting coming? Tien said, coming over to Charles's canvas with Lori and May right behind him. Oh, why, that's marvelous, Tien said with a broad grin, and then looked at me, his eyes filled with amusement. I guess we missed out on the modeling stage. I painted for my imagination. It's not Pia, she's just the inspiration, Charles said. Just the way it should be, Tien said. Well, nice job. Have you been to the Uffizi? Not yet, only through books, Charles said. And here's Charles, I said, turning my portrait around, hoping to distract them, since I had already figured out Charles had painted me as a nude. Tien's face showed instant approval. Wonderful, as good as a sergeant. Ha, <laughs> I wish, but I hope it's at least a Lamonti. I'd love it if you could paint May sometime, he said. You have quite a touch. Have you seen Charles's painting of you? Rod asked like an accusation. Not yet. We were planning to surprise each other. I'm not sure you want to see it, Laurie said. I'm not sure it's even appropriate for our school. Art should never be censored, Tien said with his amicable smile. I agree in principle, but we're a school, a high school, and teacher-student boundaries exist. Hmm, and rightly so, Tien said. But I can't see how those kinds of boundaries apply to a great painting like this. It's truly great, Charles, the way you draw from history but create your own mark. I look forward to seeing it when it's finished. I can assure you it won't be finished on this campus, Lori said. I guess it's a nude, I said lightly. Yep, Charles said, grinning sheepishly at me. I've been studying Titian. He slowly turned the painting around so it wouldn't fall off the easel. And there I was, a fabulous, flesh-spilling Venus of Urbino in a contemporary Charles Hardy interpretation. It was electrifying. It sucks, Rod said under his breath. I like it, Charles said, but I still have some work to do. Well, whatever you do, take it off campus. Can you imagine if the Globe ran a story about one of our teachers posing nude for one of our students? But it's a work of creativity. We have a gifted student. I agree with Lori. Rod said. Get it out of here. But Pia's right, Tien said in his friendly but confident way. Isn't Charles here for the opportunity to grow his talent? Isn't that Haskell's mission? He put out his arms to the kids. Hey, you guys, let's scram. Victor's waiting for us. I hope he's not idling the engine. Bring the painting, Charles. You can finish it at our house. 
Charles lifted the painting from the easel. May picked up his backpack, and the group left. I hurried to clean up, glancing every now and then at Rod, whose bad mood was giving him the lurch look. I kept quiet in order to keep him quiet, and soon the room was ready for Monday, and we headed out. When we got to the parking lot, another big surprise awaited me. Instead of unlocking his or my car, he opened a brand new, maroon-colored outback with our overnight bags in the back. What's this? Do you like it? Is it yours? No, sweetie, it's yours. I couldn't stand the sight of your beat-up car any longer. You deserve better than that. What? It's a gift. No, I can't. Just think of it as ours. Half mine, half yours. No, it isn't right, I said, but at the same time, didn't want to hurt his feelings. We got into the new smelling car and he drove away. For long minutes, his voice and smile, his glances at me, gently cajoled me to like the car. Try to see it as an addition to our lives. I like cars, and it gives me pleasure to think of you driving a nice car that I was able to provide. But what if we break up? I can't ever pay you back. I wouldn't expect you to. It would be a gift then. But I can't accept a gift like this. Then let's not break up. We're forever, remember? His hand came to rest on my thigh. Just let it sink in a little, sweetie. I know it seems like a big gift to you, but to me, it's just part of living a quality life together. And I'm definitely thinking of it as ours. Look, I'm driving it, aren't I? Okay? Okay for today, but I want to think about it. And you already have a car and a truck. You don't need to worry about my car. That's fine. Just think about it. That's all I ask. Thank you. You're, you're always so generous. Look, I'm not trying to buy you, if that's what you're thinking. No, Rod, but it is about the money and how I could never repay you and how I don't even need it. By the way, before I forget, my dad called and canceled our lunch tomorrow, he said, changing the subject. You mean I don't get to meet him? He said to tell you he's sorry. His buddies wanted to celebrate the Republican wins with a hunting trip. Hunting? I thought you had his gun. He has a few of them. He likes hunting. Yuck. His hand squeezed the wheel. Not everyone can have the same politics as you, Pia. That's life. Killing animals for sport just sickens me. Well, seeing your body naked on a canvas in the place where you teach, where everyone can see it, and painted by a 17-year-old who obviously fantasizes about your boobs, well, that makes me sick. It's not about my body, Rod. It isn't even my body. It's about a really good painting. That's what's worse. This little shithead has been staring at you all these weeks, and he's got your face down perfectly. But he has no right to put those big round boobs and furry crotch on you, those voluptuous thighs. You spill off the couch. <laughs> it's definitely funny to see it, but God, I really loved it. He's got such command of space and color. The entire thing comes alive, and it goes to a new dimension beyond Titian, which it should, because it's 400 years later. All I know is he's forcing me to buy the thing just to get it out of sight. Hell, you might even enjoy it, Rod. <laughs> yes, I might. His hand came over to squeeze my nearest boob. He really embellished you. <laughs> hey. So, was there any news from Cohasset? Nope. Carlson's avoiding me. I figure he schemed this whole thing to pay for his divorce. What about your lawyer? I see him Tuesday. Four fifty an hour. But George is worth it. He's always succeeded with my bad clients in the past, out of court. But let's not spoil our weekend with gloom and doom. 
I hope you'll like Wyatt despite his conservative views. We can avoid politics. <laughs> well, we can try. And even if he says something you disagree with, which is likely, I think it's still easy to like him. He's a fun-loving guy and he means well. We had a lot of good times in college. Like what? Well, junior year we had a group house. Four guys with assorted girlfriends coming and going. We were known on campus as the place where the music never stopped. We even had live bands sometimes. <laughs> the neighbors hated us. I can imagine. At the end of junior year, Wyatt flunked out and went to work for his drunk dad at their used car lot. A total dump. But as you'll see, Wyatt's super smart and started building up the business. He made so much money that when his dad died of liver cirrhosis, he was able to buy a Toyota dealership. Jeanette runs the office. Someone's got to keep an eye on Wyatt. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Jeanette was Wyatt's wife. And the night before, Rod had told me that every year, Wyatt went to Atlantic City for a bachelor weekend so he could get a massage and a hand job at an Asian parlor. I think his Atlantic City trips are gross. Poor Jeanette. Yeah, he's got his foibles, but so do we all. Anyhow, it always amazes me that none of us died from our crazy lifestyle. We raced motorcycles and wiped out. We drank like fishes. Some of us rock climbed stoned out of our minds. I still want to climb, but those friends don't have any money for the hot spots, which are the only places I'm interested in now. I paid their way a couple of times, but I'm not doing that anymore. I feel like they were snickering behind my back about what a sucker I was. I'm not going to be anyone's fool. All I could think of was how one day he'd be saying the same things about me. That little schemer got a brand new car out of me and she never said thanks. Thanks for the car, Rod. And where's mine? In my garage. But I was thinking you could probably get 800 for it on Craigslist. I think I'll keep it for now. I had already decided to call my brother first chance and talk over Rod's gift with him. Lawyers could judge things objectively. I dropped my head back and breathed in the new car smell. The interior was utterly immaculate. The dashboard, the seats, the mats, not a speck of dust or a drop of spilled coffee. No oil paint smell. It was sleek, sexy, and wouldn't need repairs for years. And my boyfriend was obsessed with it. I wouldn't have to worry about it ever. Thanks again for the car, Rod. For our car. You're welcome, sweetie. I hope you'll enjoy it for many years. Or, I mean, will enjoy it. His hand curled over mine, and he gave me a loving smile. I smiled and squeezed back. I wanted to try to fit into his world in some ways, just the way I wanted him to fit into mine. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spilsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Redline Podcast.